Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Jesse Thistle is the author of From the Ashes, my story of being metis, homeless, and finding my way. This number one internationally best-selling and award-winning memoir about overcoming trauma, prejudice, and addiction by a metis Cree author as he struggles to find a way back to himself and his indigenous culture is an illuminating, this is a quote now, an illuminating inside account of homelessness, a study of survival, and freedom. So says Amanda Lindhout, best-selling co-author of A House in the Sky. Abandoned by his parents as a toddler, Jesse and his two brothers were cut off from all they knew when they were placed in the foster care system. Eventually placed with their paternal grandparents, the children often clashed with their tough love attitude, and worse, the ghost of Jesse's drug-addicted father seemed to haunt the memories of every member of the family. Soon, he succumbed to a self-destructive cycle of drug and alcohol addiction and petty crime, resulting in more than a decade living on and off the streets. Facing struggles many of us cannot even imagine, Jesse knew he would die unless he turned his life around. Through sheer perseverance and newfound love, he managed to find his way back into the loving embrace of his indigenous culture and family. 
Now, in this heart-wrenching and triumphant memoir, Jesse honestly and fearlessly divulges his painful past, the abuse he endured, and the tragic truth about his parents, an eloquent exploration of the dangerous impact of prejudice and racism. From the Ashes is ultimately a celebration of love and a story of courage and resilience, certain to strike a chord with readers from many backgrounds, according to the Library Journal. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. Your story is sensational and moving and amazing. And when my daughter didn't want to go to school this morning, I was telling her all about your book and your story and the turnip and the beer in the fridge and the foster home. I mean, it's just unbelievable the stuff as a young child you had to go and the stuffing your mom's pages in the bed from the Macy's catalog. Oh my gosh, Jesse, I can't believe your life. I truly can't believe it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm uh, lucky. Is it really though? It's the life of a lot of Indigenous people in Canada, right? I'm just one of thousands, and I have to be humble and know that you know my life might seem extreme to you, but to other Indigenous peoples, they recognize and see a lot of their uncles or their aunties or grandparents' story in mine. So, well, yeah. still, <laughs> the fact that there's a lot of pain doesn't make any one person's pain any less, I think, you know, but obviously you're not the only one. And I mean, do you, do you attribute your history mostly to that, to being an indigenous people of Canada and, or, I mean, it's, it could be more of a drug addiction story or the, you know, the effect of drugs or the effect of, you know, young parents who aren't you know, it could be a lot of factors. When you look back, what do you, attribute it mostly to most of, okay so i inherited a very traumatic history from my what are called michif or metis were mixed-blooded people that had our own political consciousness and fought against imperial expansion in the 18th and 19th centuries so i have that trauma because they stole everything from us they stole our land they murdered the bison and then they they put us onto what are called road allowances these are public strips of land that pete we had to squat on because they wouldn't treat with us. They didn't give us treaty because we were such a martial force. They wanted to destroy our nation, and that's what they did. And so you're seeing a glimpse of that at the beginning of the story, right? I'm on the road allowance with my grandparents, and they're trying to explain it to me, but I don't really understand. And I wrote it that way because that's how I looked at it as a kid. It wasn't until I came years later and looked at my history of my mom's people that I understood, hey, I this trauma has been bequeathed to me. And I'm not talking about epigenetically. I'm talking about like socialization over time became dysfunctional, misogyny, alcoholism, addictions, abuse. All these things are responses to massive stress over time, right? And then they pass it. It's almost like the way the, some of the literature I draw off of is actually second generation Holocaust survivor families. They talk about that's who started this, right? And so Native people have just taken those theories and applied them to their lives and say, hey, this is actually true for us too, you know? So that's one vein. And then if you look at my father's life, he's really the, the catalyst for when everything goes wrong, right? And so he was a white dude. Right. He had an ancestral Algonquin roots, but he was he knew himself as a white guy. And so really the early uh, what's called ACE adverse childhood experiences that I that happened in foster care that happened with abuse and whatnot was because of his decision because he was an addict. But if 
And now I'm doing my dissertation. I started tracing back his lines and I saw, holy cow, he comes from Gaelic people that were displaced in Cape Britain. They were displaced in what's called the Highland Clearances back in Scotland. And that trauma reverberated through time, you know, to my father. And so all these things are converging and I, it makes sense to me. I know who I am. I know why, what happened to me. And with that comes a clarity, right? An acceptance of history to change it. You know, it's up to me. And yeah, so that's, those are all the competing narratives and all the other things that you mentioned too, addictions play into it, family dysfunction, toxic masculinity, all these things are part of my, my story. And that's real life, right? It's not one vein, it's, it's multiple and they converge and crisscross all through the story. I mean, your story is so inspirational because you've pulled yourself through and out and over and everything. And yet there's some, seems something very depressing about the idea that we've all, like so many people have inherited. I mean, think about everyone's past history. If everybody feels the inherited trauma of their people who have been displaced, or like the mass amounts of suffering, it's almost hard to grasp how a it is. That we could all just sort of function with all of this heaviness. What you said about the Holocaust, I've been fascinated with that for years. In fact, way back in college, and now I'm pretty old. But, you know, I took a whole class on what is, what is it like to be the child of a Holocaust survivor? And what is that like? And what do those people write about? And how do those, how do the grandchildren function? And I'm, it's something I've been personally, like, very invested in and obsessed with over time. And this now inherited trauma has become you know, like a buzzword of, of sorts now that people have identified this as like a thing that happens. Yes. But how do you, how do we like collectively, I mean, this is kind of a giant question. You can't, I don't know that it has an answer, but with all of that out there, how, how can we change it? Like how, how can we disrupt that narrative and make it so that like, yes, we've all, we are here where we are, but how can other people and, and entire groups of people try to overcome this. I mean, it sounds like it's maybe overly simplistic, but it just seems like very depressing. No, that's a, these are some interesting questions uh, <laughs> that arise when we're talking about trauma. We're like, well, how come Indigenous people can't heal from this trauma? Where, you know, two or three generations out, Jewish populations seem to be recovering, right? What's the difference? Well, I look at work done by Lakota uh, Sioux scholar. Her name is Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart. And she talks about how trauma needs to be witnessed and understood by the mainstream so that the people that suffered the trauma can grieve publicly, right? And they can come together and it makes meaning of their suffering. It's valid. It has like a purpose, right? Instead of it being a victim narrative, then it becomes like a survivor narrative, right? We survived this, not we were victims of colonialism, correct? And so this hasn't happened for Indigenous people. It has happened certainly for Jewish people. Look at all the plethora of movies about the families and the books that have been written and about the Holocaust. And so this hasn't happened for Indigenous people. And, and when I lecture about this, I give an example. Canada here, World War I was really, really traumatic for our country. We lost like a whole generation of young men, right? It was senseless. They were sent to the slaughter, basically, for the British Empire. And so in the years after the war, the country was reeling and they couldn't make sense of it. And so to publicly grieve, they created something called Remembrance Day, right? 
this is what they're doing. That's what it is. We're, we're saying, oh, they died for this reason, collectively for our freedom. They sacrificed. And the families actually have some sort of sense out of what they've gone through, right? And so I say, like, for my people, especially the Machif or the Métis, we, people don't even know that we exist. So how can they know about our trauma and what happened to us and help us publicly grieve? There is no public witnessing then, right? And so by and large, this is just starting to happen for Indigenous people, right? Up here in Canada, we just found a bunch of bodies and graves that Indigenous people that we're talking about for years at residential schools. And so if the country's just now coming to realize this, we're just at the beginning of the public grieving, right? Because we're just gathering our truths right now to share them, right? And so it's a long process. This is going to be generations, I believe, but I'm part of the early conversations towards this public grieving and healing. Don't you feel like this enormous responsibility? No, I kind of do, but I kind of don't too, because like, I just don't care, really. I, I just had an opportunity to share my life and you know, other people are making something of it that maybe, you know, I don't know, it means something more to them. But for me, I was just sharing my truth to get it off of my back, basically. And so I could live and function. And, you know, so people could understand my brother, or my, my, my brothers who have mental health challenges, right? They're suffering from trauma, where without this book, it just looks like they're aggressive and mean online, right? And that's not what who they are. They're just suffering from what happened to us. And so in that respect, uh, it is a great responsibility, you know, because I'm representative of my family and my people and myself. But in the same token, I can't care what people think about my life because for some people it will be shocking. Some people it will be, it'll tear away their facade of what they think a just society is, you know, or what our institutions are there for and who they protect. You see all the different institutions that come in contact with and none of them had my back, right? And I almost died. And and we're supposed to be Canada the benevolent, right? And that just didn't exist for an Indigenous person in my era. So yeah, it's a great responsibility, but I can't care too much about it. Or That would shut me down right from the beginning, right? It's too, too great of a weight to carry. I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. I know you don't need my <laughs> my one little empathy, but reading your story, I just, my heart, like, just absolutely broke for you and thinking about your brothers and just how could, how, I mean, after the, some of the things it's like, well, of course they're going to grow up with, how can you not grow up with, with, without serious effects on yourself? How can these experiences not damage the person? Right. And what, what do you need to then overcome these things? Like, why do you think you are here, you know, having written this book and now your career and all of this, like, why you? Why could you do this? Why can everyone not do this? What, what did you find deep inside you or whatever? Is it your makeup? Or, you know, I'm always sort of fascinated with like, what makes one person able to survive something horrific, whereas the next person suffers in totally different ways from it? Uh, I th I th this keeps me up at night, right? I have survivor's guilt. Like, why did I survive? I, I get emails every like three or four months of someone from my past who's died, right? And they used to be a lot more frequent. They're getting thinner and thinner. That's because no one's left. I'm like one of the last ones. And so I don't know. It's It was luck. It was luck. I c there's no other way that I can say that. Like, 
I could try to want to tr- claim responsibility, but it was the way that the court system plucked me from jail when I was sober for the first time in a while. And I knew the opportunity and I, you know, I took it, uh, but that was me by chance, you know, by reference of a friend calling this place and, and getting in there. And so I, I am, you ever hear that song, Lucky Man, yeah, the same group that did Bittersweet Symphony. Uh-huh. I put that on in the morning and I listened to that because I know it was by chance alone that I survived. And, you know, I'm no better. I, it wasn't a bootstrap. I didn't pull myself up by my boots or really what happened was once that court plucked me out of the system, an institution wrapped around me for the first time, right? And they started building relationships back up. And in those relationships, I met my wife, you know, I, I, I found pride, I found education. And so I theorize in a lot of my work that I do, the opposite of addiction and homelessness is, is not sobriety and being put in a house. It's love. That's why I wore the shirt, right? Hope is love. Home is love. Home or hope. That's what home. I, home, home, home is love. And it's that simple. And everybody knows that, right? Everybody, this is not a revelation. But what I'm talking about is I believe in what's called relationships first alongside housing first. So we need housing, no doubt. But we also need those relationships of love and trust and community that wrap around us that give us meaning. And so I was lucky to find that. I can't say that I was searching for that. And But I knew to, to take advantage of it because my life had been so desolate before that. So Wow. So how has your life changed since writing this book and it becoming like a number one international bestseller and all this stuff and suddenly your 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 private pain and your experience is now so out there how has how has life changed for you planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And 
it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. It's incredible. Like it's gone global. Like you said, it's gone right around the world. And each country picks out something different. Like in America, they focused on race. It's on my race and being indigenous, right? North America is actually like that. In Europe, it's more about recovery, right? In England. Continental Europe, it was more about here's someone that was homeless that became a professor. Mm-hmm. In Asia, South Asia, it was more about like the adoption story mm-hmm. for some reason. They were more interested in like connection and stuff like that, especially in Vietnam for some reason. And each country focuses on something different. Like you were saying, there's all these threads, right? And when you tell your truth, the universals just come f- to the fore and people will pick what, you know, because life is life and they can see themselves in your life and so it's changed in the most unreal way like when I drive to work in the morning or to pick up my morning coffee I I get spotted you know at the stop sign that happened to me and we're talking about like 5 a.m right where no one should be up. He's like, hey, there's Jesse this one. I'm like, oh, shit. I haven't had my coffee. Sorry, I didn't mean this. Okay. I haven't had my coffee yet, so I have to be friendly. And it happened when I was at the spa. There was this group of women that were just trying to come over and talk to me. And it's just so weird because you got to contrast that against what I was. I was a homeless addict in and out of jail. People would literally step over top of me while I was trying to catch their attention. And now everybody's lining up to listen to me. I don't know how to take that. You know, so what I've actually done is I've just shut down. I've receded to myself and I've taken care of what's important in my home because I know that that's real and all that out there, you know, it's nice, but it's really not beneficial to me in a way, you know, I don't know. I sound really bad. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, yeah, it's, it's made my circle much smaller, the people that I trust, if that makes sense. Of course it makes sense. Well, suddenly, I mean... I think anytime people suddenly change how they feel about you, they must, it, it just implies that they didn't really necessarily know you before, right? Like, no. or I, I don't know. Yes, of course. You have to trust the inner circle when when all of a sudden it feels like who knows what people want yeah. and what, what parts of you do they want to talk to. And anyway, That's right. it makes That's total right. sense. And it never ends. It never ends. And you get like, a, I've got a hundred million cousins now, like literally. I got, I'm related to half of Nova Scotia, all of Northern Ontario and the whole of the Western provinces somehow are related to me that I didn't know about. I'm like, you could have helped me when I was on the street. That would have been really nice. But now that it's like, I'm on the other end of it, you know, anyway, I I can't be bitter if I look back. That's, that's part of resentment that gets you sick and keeps you in addiction. So I forgive everyone and I move forward with a clean slate. Lovely. What was the actual experience of writing this book like for you? It was cool. I sat down to write in August 2018 or 17, and I had it finished by November. Wow. The middle of November. So the book took three months oh to write. Oh my gosh. What I would do is I'd sit down in the morning, I'd get up at like 4.30 or 5.30 and I'd write for two or three hours. 
And then I'd send that off to my editor, Lori Grassi at Simon & Schuster. And if it was good, then it came back with some edits and comments and questions, right? But if it was crappy, then it just kind of disappeared into the ether. And that was her polite way of saying, this is not good enough for the book. And so we did that the whole way along. That's how the book came. And Lori said, I'm literally the fastest writer that she's ever worked with. And yeah, the book has been on the charts now here in Canada, I guess six times or eight times longer than it took to write, which is crazy. Wow. This is so, and it was like a stream of consciousness, you know, I, it's, uh, it just came out of me. And when I went to go to edit in the morning, that's when I knew I was done. And that's when I'd send it off. So a lot of the stuff is unedited in the book. That's just how it came out of me. Right. So. And that's not to say that Lori didn't have a, she was the one who arranged the meta narrative and all that stuff. Like she did edit it, but like, yeah, that's how the book came about. And it was a lovely process. I was, I got to meet three-year-old me, you know, eight-year-old me. I got to relive my first love, you know, the first time I broke a girl's heart, my rave days back in the nineties, all these things I got to look back at and see the totality of it. And I learned I'm not such a bad guy. I just had a lot of bad experiences and you know, I didn't have the best lot in life or hand in cards, you know, so. Did you think you were a bad guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. My record certainly says so, right? And there, I'm sure there are a lot of police and judges who probably still think that. But when it came down to it, especially there's one moment in the book where I had the choice, choose that life or choose justice. And I chose justice when it mattered most, when nobody else was there, I stood up. And that's when I realized that I wasn't that bad of a person. And we have a political leader here. His name's Jagmeet Singh. He's one of the leaders of the party. And that the person that I stood up for was actually his uncle. He was a young man when that happened. He was with the, the, the cab driver the night uh, that he got murdered. And the family had begged him not to go out. And I didn't realize this until years later when someone from his NDP contacted me and said, man, you did it really solid for their family. And then I started talking with them. And I said, no, I, I, when it mattered most, I did did do the right thing. So and I'm no hero either. I think anybody with a brain would have done the same thing. So, Wow. So is this going to be a movie? This feels very cinematic. Do you want it to be a movie? Well, we're in, I don't know how much I can share here. We're in negotiations right now. Someone has an option, but the option's going to run out soon. And if anybody knows optioning and movie making, it's a whole long process. It's very expensive and a lot of different parts in it. And so we're hopeful. We're we're hoping something happens, but their option runs out like at the end of the year here. So I don't know if you can make a movie in that short of time. So if anybody's interested, you know, in the future, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Okay. Wow. So what happens now with life? You go on, you're a professor, like where, where do you go from here? Where do you go from this moment where your book is just, you know, everywhere and your story is there and you're trying to live your life? Like what happens next for you? I, yeah, this is, I'm at a crossroads in my life, actually. Mm -hmm. I always remember the story of Achilles, right? I think Minerva came to him and she said, you have the option to go to Troy and achieve immortality, but you will not come back. Or you can stay home and no one will ever know who you are and your legacy will live on through your family. 
you can't do both. And so I'm not going to Troy. I'm going to stay home. You know, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to read and I'm going to be a professor and I'm going to melt back into normalcy and just teach people about Indigenous history because that's really what got me to the ball, right? I'm not going to step on her toes, right? That's what's most important to me. And I've been charged by my elders in Saskatchewan to be a knowledge keeper. And if it's all about me, which it has been because of this book, which was total accidental, then I lose that really more important community role. And so that's my dream. I want to be a father. My wife is pregnant right now. She's due on December 12th. And I want to end that cycle of, of trauma in my family line, right? I want to be a good upstanding provider that my dad wasn't. And I think that's the best way that I can apply myself. I might not be as famous as I would if I went to Troy, but I think I'll be happier in the long run, if that makes sense. Do you have like an amazing therapist or is this all coming from you? Like, cause you, I don't you know. sound like. I have a trauma therapist, but we've never talked about what I just talked with. Wow. So your, I just, your yeah. approach and your articulation of it and it's, amazing and inspiring. And it's really what's important in life, right? I mean, this is it, your whole thing about love and home and, and even what, where, you know, this crossroads, this is, I mean, because what's left, what's left at the end anyway? It's love, right? It's love. And that's what you're going to die with. That's the only thing that you're really given in this world, right? And so, yeah, I want to honor that. And I want to, and you honor that by showing that, you know, I could say that, but love is shown by taking my kid to hockey at 6 a.m. on Saturdays, right? When I don't want to go. That's where the real expression of love is. And so I want to do that. You know, I want to go canoeing in Algonquin Park with my daughter, you know, and do those things. So, and I can't do that if I'm off at Troy fighting a battle that's not mine, right? Yes. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. What advice would you have for an aspiring author? Just know that... Writing a memoir is like throwing a hand grenade into Christmas dinner. <laughs> if you're going to write a memoir and it's, you're going to suffer massive damage, truths will be told, family members will abandon you, but you'll have a close retinue of people that come to support you. That Those are your real friends. Those are your real family, right? And it's a great, I guess, crucible. It cuts away all that crap, all those crap people, and then you're only left with the good. So... Be fearless in what in your telling. Don't try to make people look bad. Don't be accusatory on purpose or angry because that'll just shut your reader down. Just tell your truth. Just show it, you know, without resentment in your heart. And it's always the most powerful and impactful way to communicate with people. Love it. Yeah. Wow. Jesse, it's really been just such an honor to even talk to you. I'm I have so much respect for you and what you like. You don't miss the plot. Like you get the big picture. It's, it's, this is it. Like you've cut to the heart of life and what's important. And it's really refreshing to hear. And anyway, just bravo to you. Not that you need my, my tiny little bravo in the chorus of, you know, accolades, but you know, your decision to stay inward and kind of like stay where your feet are. And I don't know, it's really, and and after overcoming all the stuff in particular, it's just really, really awesome. So Thank you. Can I ask something of you? Of course. Yeah, sure. Or any of your listeners, just if you can, it's simple. I ask people to do two things for me. Just go buy a homeless person or someone down on their luck a meal and ask them their name. That's it. 
just do that for me. Yeah. It means a lot to be seen, right? Amazing. Amazing. Okay. I will. All right. All right. Thank you, Jesse. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.